My name's Tom Jennings and this is the 24 Frames Cast. Apologies for how I sound. I have a streaming cold. Um, yes, it is possible to get a cold in Britain in June and I've managed to get one and um, quite frankly, my nostrils are a tidal wave of snot at the moment, which I'm sure is a description which you were really hoping to hear from me. But I'm going to crack on um, bravely through what I think's a cold. It might be man flu, I don't know, but I'm going to soldier on the trooper that I am and do an episode on Top Gun and its recent sequel Top Gun Maverick. Now fear according to Paul Atreides is the mind killer and I beg to differ on this because I think nostalgia can be something of a mind killer. Now nostalgia can make you remember an ex-girlfriend as the personification of everything that is now lacking in your current love life while she brazing all the fact that you split up for a very good reason, which is mainly because they'd become utterly insufferable. It can make you miss a seaside town from your youth, only to discover that going back to said place, you are presented with a post-apocalyptic hellhole that has most likely never changed since you stuffed 10p coins in the arcade machine. When it comes to film, however, it can be a minefield of shattering disappointment. Remember when you liked The Goonies? Well, it is a truly shit film. Remember when you thought the Biggles film was fun? Think again, it is toe-curlingly awful. Remember when you thought Tremors was good fun? Well, buckle up, it's not. Now, I was a mere child in the 1980s, and I recall bits and bobs of it, but one thing I have come to realise in later life was that art and culture in the 80s was pretty shit. Fashion, haircuts, you name it, it was all pretty crap. And when I look at it, and when I look at that period, there are a few films from the 80s that I love as much from the 90s, the 70s and the 60s. And I think Hollywood was in transition in the 80s and not for the better. The era of the high concept blockbuster was upon us. Heaven's Gate had really, I think, slammed shut on the idea that Hollywood was going to place so much emphasis on the auteurs. This was now a studio producer sitting. We have the likes of Beverly Hills Cop, Lethal Weapon, Die Hard. Synergy had become a word. There was the movie, The Power Ballad, the celebrity endorsement restaurant selling burgers named after the films. This was the age of the multiplex. And it was also, I think, if I'm being bitterly cynical, the beginnings of the road, I think, to where we have got now with modern Hollywood franchises such as the Transformers and the likes. And one of the most iconic films of this era was Tony Scott's Top Gun, produced by Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson. Top Gun was one of the most significant cultural relics of the era. So it's no wonder that then that Top Gun is, for all intents and purposes, an artistic and creative aberration. Yes, that's right, Top Gun is utterly terrible. I despise this film, and I've never liked it, not even when I should have liked it when I was a child. I have always felt it's a film for men who think they have something to prove. The types that spend their weekends going to things like Tough Mudder or Spartan Warrior obstacle course crap. Going back to it for the first time in years, I was wondering, had I been harsh on the film before? Had I lightened up with age and was ready for a good time? The answer I was to soon discover was a massive, resounding no. Tony Scott has always been, for me, the lesser Scott. The simple fact is, I don't like many of his films. 
the, the ones of his that I have liked, like Unstoppable, Man on Fire, and Crimson Tired, and The Hunger, the rest are either fairly forgettable or actually awful, and yes, I'm looking at you, true romance. After the promising and outright beautiful film, The Hunger, Tony Scott was given an instant promotion with Top Gun to the world of big biology at Hollywood Spectacle. Reportedly, Jerry Bruckheimer proposed the project to Don Simpson by holding up a picture of an F-14 and declaring the concept Star Wars on Earth, and the film was produced in collaboration with the Pentagon to attract new recruits, new recruits to the Navy, which stands to reason it was given to Scott, because he had actually made an advert for the car company Saab, in which a car raced a jet, and this was apparently in the eyes of Simpson and Brockheimer, all they needed to know that he was the right man for the job. So herein lies quite an interesting question, I think, with Top Gun. What is it exactly? Well, the simple answer is, of course, is it's a film, a, a big budget load of cobblers about a young pilot called Maverick, played by Tom Cruise, being sent to the Top Gun training school where he must break all those damn rules, shag the hot lady who's teaching him, not be held responsible for his mate's death, and then, of course, graduate and save the day in a meaningless fight with a MiG over the Indian Ocean. But let's not forget, this film is selling you something. You are supposed to look at the screen and want to be Maverick, either literally or by signing up right there and then for a life of the Navy. Because really, everyone wants to be Maverick, don't they? You don't want to have a call sign that's called Mediocre. Now, Maverick, or Pete Mitchell as he's known, is also, however, a complete and utter prick on every level. And before we get to that, we have to really talk about Cruise here. Now, I love Tom Cruise. Jerry Maguire is in my top 10 films of all time. And the continuing brilliance of the Mission Impossible franchise never fails me to have me running back to the cinema as fast as I can possibly go. Hollywood is an insane place. And fame, when you think about it, is quite crazy. Why do we obsess so much over these people? Well, I think... It we don't see them as people in the first place. Tom Cruise is Jerry Maguire. He is Ethan Hunt. These are not normal people. There's something far more interesting. They're stars. And Tom Cruise is a movie star, pure and simple. He is, I believe, the only true movie star working today. There's something about the man. He is a human for sure. But yeah, there is this persona, a mystique. And yes, it does have something to do with Scientology. Because deep down, you, like me, want to know more. You know it's fucking crazy. And perhaps, but perhaps, just maybe, there might be something in it. And at the very least, you would have, you would love to have a good nosy around one of their various buildings. And despite all the craziness of it all, we love Tom Cruise. Because he's one of the few film stars actually dedicated to the medium. He does spectacle. And he does it right. That is him jumping out of an aeroplane or doing some crazy stunt. And he wants to make sure the settings on your TV are right so that all the hard work that him and the crew put in is seen in the best possible light. For me alone, the man should be given a knighthood for that stance. In Top Gun, we have, however, we have Babyface Cruise. This is him at the beginning of what would be his incredible career. And it's an entirely different persona as far as I'm concerned. Maverick, of course, is sure of himself, and that's the whole point, but Cruz is too annoying to ever be likeable in Top Gun. There is an unbearable smugness to him, not aided by a toe-curlingly bad script, and I hate, repeat, hate when men sing and think they are good at it. So the bar scene for me in Top Gun is almost unwatchable. And my main takeaway from seeing it all again is that Cruz is better than Top Gun. He deserved a better role than the one he gets here. 
And although this film would send him into the stratosphere, I suppose, as an actor, this is a clear case of an actor being bigger than the film. He just about saves Top Gun from it sinking entirely, even if most of the time I was watching through my hands. It's impossible to take this film seriously. And I think on some degree to even appreciate it, the script by writers Jim Cash and Jack Epps, who have been tasked with making a glorified advertisement for the Navy, into something resembling a story. So, of course, there's some garbage about Maverick's dad's disappearing on a mission. And, of course, we find out he was a hero in the end. He just crashed on a secret mission in Nam. And there's a love interest in the form of Kenny McGuinness, who, for some reason, is teaching pilots how to fly, despite apparently working in an office. And it's not the point. She's just there to look good and be seduced by Maverick. Co-pilot Goose buys it. And, of course, this creates a crisis of conscience and... And of course, there's Val Kilmer, who is on hand to constantly tell Maverick that he's a danger to everyone. And of course, most of the time he does this whilst being semi-naked. There are no mention of geopolitics in the film. The MiGs are above the Indian Ocean. We never find out who they are, where they're from. But this is just filler. It's all plain porn. And it's about one-liners and men being men. And Tony Scott shoots everything with a fetish's eye. Most of the men in the film are always semi-naked. There's that volleyball scene, standing around in towels, constantly looking at each other with semi-envious eyes. As a queer art film played with the sound off, it might actually work. But of course you're supposed to, as a man, watch it wanting to be up there with them. And it worked. The film drove recruitment through the Navy through the roof. So as an example of an advertising campaign, then you have to say Top Gun was a complete success. And when repackaged as a advertisement, it's actually genius, I suppose. But as a feature film, it is tragic. I don't even think the aerial scenes look that good anyway, and especially in comparison to something like the time travel classic The Final Countdown that precedes Top Gun by six years. Yet the, And the DNA of contemporary movie stupidity is also all present in correcting Top Gun. Macho, stupid macho bullshit in every line of dialogue that you can see mirrored in the likes of the Transformers Mark Wahlberg efforts. And there's a real sense, I think, that this is a film that is selling American military superiority in the post-Vietnam era. It's no surprise that Ronald Reagan loved it, and audiences too. It's been a midlife crisis classic for men ever since, and was a de facto home cinema test track for everything, everyone's Dolby surround sound system in the 80s and 90s. Through a contemporary lens, however, I think Top Gun is genuinely terrible. It's a vapid bag of cliché that has aged about as well as another 80s relic, the Soda Stream. So, fast forward a few decades, and we have Top Gun Maverick. Joseph Kaczynski is on directing duty duties and Tony Scott was due to return before his untimely death and of course Tom Cruise has returned as Maverick himself. Now I was pretty much sold on the film's trailer and there seemed to be a buzz about the film, a kind of aura about it and it was really hard I think for me to kind of figure out what that was until I arrived at the Printworks IMAX a week ago and noticed there was a huge crowd getting ready for the film. People were eagerly queuing up, buying drinks, buying popcorn, and people seemed to be genuinely excited. And I realised what the buzz was, and it's the fact that Top Gun Maverick is a film, a big, fuck-off, huge 
film. It's not one that was supposed to be playing on Netflix after having a very limited release in the cinema, but a huge film that was designed to be seen on the biggest screen at Known to Man. Indeed, the marketing for the film constantly reaffirmed that the cast and crew had gone to great lengths to shoot for real. Now, yes, there would be some CGI, but this was all about putting cameras on planes and actually delivering an experience, a bona fide theatrical experience. Now, as I said, I saw the film on the Printworks IMAX in Manchester, and it was absolutely packed. And I was sold by this film within almost the first few seconds. The soundtrack paid homage to the original Top Con, but pastiche this did not feel like. The huge opening shot of Cruz on a motorbike, older yes, but still a movie star, a pure movie star, being given the god treatment on a truly epic screen with a massive sound system. I was reminded of films like The Right Stuff or The Western, just film lore, and looking around and seeing other people in the cinema enjoying the communal experience of watching a film like this was actually, I think, quite profound for me. Now, we're quickly introduced back into the world of Top Gun. Maverick is being forced to take a test plane for a spin because the meddling suits have arrived and want to cancel the project. And instead, he is going to go all Chuck Yeager on us and deliver an audiovisual spectacle. The sound of the engine, the flashing gals, Maverick pushing the plane beyond the limits of what it was ever meant to go. It was enthralling, exhilarating stuff. Then, then something even better happened. This film had humour, not the kind of crass, crappy humour from the original Top Gun, but there's a rather good visual gag of Maverick walking into a diner after his crash, and I suddenly became aware that this was a far more likeable Maverick. Yes, the smile is still there, and the self-assuredness, but Cruz is older now. Not world-weary, but you get the impression Maverick has spent his past 34 years living, learning, and enjoying his life, flying his planes as fast as they can go. And Cruz simply nails it. He's not having to do that much work, to be fair, but he's kind of playing with his persona, and no better is this shown with his relationship with bar owner Penny, one of his, played by Jennifer Connelly, who looks absolutely amazing, it has to be said, a former flame of his that has more than got his measure. She looks beautiful, and so does he, and from the very real, there was an actual chemistry and interplay between Cruz and Connelly that, that really worked. You like them, and for all its scenes of flying, actually giving these two some decent screen time to spar and flirt was a joy to behold. If you think about something like the Marvel films, which take place, it seems, in a fairly sexless universe, it was nice to actually see a man and a woman on screen developing a relationship. And there's a brilliant scene, I think, when Maverick jumps out of a window to avoid Penny's daughter coming home and lands right in front of the girl so she can see him. I did actually laugh when she asked him not to mess her mum around again. And yes, it's an obvious, fairly cheesy little gag, but Cruz has become in late years a kind of Buster Keaton-like figure. Insane scary stunts, yes, but also he's able to kind of enjoy the goofier moments in films like this one. And it's all here. The film has actual, genuine fun with the character, and Cruz knows his audience. We've grown up with him, and there's something reassuring about him here. You feel like you're watching someone who actually cares about the medium, that, and that medium being cinema, and yes, going to the cinema, who is a film fan who believes in the medium, and he's invited you along to enjoy this rather wonderful theatrical experience. 
Now, of course, the film selling point is going to be those aerial moments and cast and crew went to great lengths to do most of the flying scenes for real and quite frankly they have set a new bar i think you can literally see the actors faces contorting as the planes fly around and kaczynski managed to shoot and edit the scenes in a way which makes them coherent you actually get a sense of who is where and what is going on all of of course being played by a huge jukebox soundtrack of rock hits and it's probably not the most subtlest of filmmaking but it's exhilarating it genuinely got the heart going. The film pays homage and is not a slave to the original Top Gun. We also have the dearly departed Goose's son, co-callsign Rooster, who is one of the pilots Maverick, is having to train for this final mission. Can they make up and do what's best for the team? Well, I think you can probably guess as to what happens there. But film, perhaps the film's most affecting moment is when we discover Iceman, played by Val Kilmer, is now an admiral who has personally vouched to have Maverick brought back to Top Gun and train the pilots. Kilmer in real life has undergone a tractotomy for throat cancer and communicates with Maverick by writing notes. You realise that the friendship hinted at at the end of Top Gun has blossomed over the years. They've had each other's back ever since and it was... And one thing that works so well about this scene is a big healthy dollop of nostalgia. Now, as I said in the beginning of this episode, I was no fan of the original Top Gun. So this isn't really, I think, about the original Top Gun. It's about something else. It's about cinema and stars. And I think what happens in that scene between Kilmer and Cruz is that you see something which I think has become lost. Kilmer was at one stage destined for truly great thing. Good looking, talented, despite being a poor film. He's still what I think makes The Doors really watchable. And of course, then there was Heat. And it all kind of went downhill in the 90s. Yes, there was the odd film here and there, but for the most part, he starred in largely forgettable director-video efforts. Rumours that he was difficult to work with on set and temperamental began to swirl around Hollywood. Yet to me, this scene had a kind of reverence for Kilmer. It reminded me that he was an actor who was a movie star. So good in Heat, still one of my favourite performances of his and my favourite film of all time. And when I was seeing him on screen, I kind of felt an awe again. Cruz and Kilmer together, and despite the obvious disability of Kilmer, I didn't feel pity or sadness for him. Moreover, a feeling of just how much I love the cinema, how movie stars are a different breed from us mere mortals, and that's fine, and it's why we love cinema in the first place, because for two hours, you don't get your WhatsApp buzzing away, you don't worry about the next utility bill, or who Putin is going to invade next. And to cap off the scene, Kaczynski did something completely unnecessary. The camera tracks in on a framed picture of Iceman and Maverick from the end of the original Top Gun. The photo has been immortalised in black and white. The two old foes have become friends and you see Kilmer in his prime. And not even the cynic in me could sneer and say, yes, but this is a still from a film that I largely feel was the beginning of the end of cinema as I know it. But instead, a real genuine sense what a genuinely touching gesture it was to have Kilmer in the film. And a warm reminder that films are about the subtle moments that not aren't necessarily the most important parts of the story, but a reminder that films are a pretty magical thing. And in that moment, I have to admit it, my eyes did well up as the film's sheer feel-good vibe began to wash over me. Now, of course, the point of the film is to prep us for the mission to take out the bad guys, all we know about them is that they've got some fifth gen fighters and Maverick and his charges are going to have to do some serious low level flying to complete it. 
At this point, the film does embrace the ridiculous. It actually reminded me a little bit of the computer game series Ace Combat. My favourite piece of utter nonsense from this scene came when you have a squadron of jets flying in formation with Tomahawk cruise missiles. We have, at this stage, I think, departed any form of reality and are now very much in the movie world. And normally, things like that might take me out of the film. But in this instant, I simply didn't care. Maverick had won me over. The film's unrelenting feel-good vibe and easy charms were more than what I needed. And in the age of the pointless remake or the reboot or the sequel, Maverick stands out because it feels strangely important, almost necessary to a degree. Because here is a film that has been made with spectacle in mind. It's not about ideology. It wears its aesthetics as a badge of pride. And yes, it uses CGI, but there's also a lot of it that has been shot simply flying above the desert with cameras strapped to jets and you feel it you react to it completely differently to how it would be if this was all done on green or blue screens or whatever and what's more important about the film is you do have to see it at the cinema this is not something which will have the same impact watching it at home on even on a relatively big television what i walked away from maverick was i really hope this film doesn't get a sequel just leave it where it is and let other studios take note because here is a film made by people who care about cinema who want to give you an experience and just look at the result audiences are flocking to watch top gun people are talking about it it's making a ton of money at my screening there was a hugely mixed audience and everyone i know who's seen it has nothing but good words to say about it i really hope the film does get to a billion dollars because i really do think Hopefully studio executives will look at it and see just the, the still the potential that cinema has to get people flocking to it and going and watching films on a huge screen. And it was nice to see, although the print works, um, I, I think, has gone massively downhill since View took it over from Odeon. And by God, the service in the concession stand was absolutely appalling. But there were so many people in the cinema going to watch it it was I've, I've i've never seen it that busy before and i and just i, I you know most you think about the people who who work in these places you know it's not just you know the people around the concession stands there's, there's people's live livelihoods depend on cinemas being busy and i i really really hope going forward that we get a lot more films like this because you know as i said the ending of the film was perhaps a bit ridiculous but who cares this is this is what i think it's a movie for christ's sakes and for two hours my girlfriend and i were completely whisked away and definitely i would be amazed if top gun maverick doesn't find its way into my top 10 list for the year so that's going to be it um top gun and top gun maverick um I suppose a slight piece of housekeeping. I have definitely now been banned from Twitter. So um, I have set myself up with another account. So if you want to follow me, um, email me uh, 24framescast at gmail.com and I will uh, uh, track you down on Twitter and, and follow you and what have you. Um, the Master Cinema cast will be returning as well. Um, there's an episode um, going up about the silent films of John Ford and Joachim and I are going to try and uh, clear our diaries and get some more recording done. I am also working on this year's 70mm um, episode which is taking slightly longer than I thought actually because I've got way too much to say about some of the films and I'm having to do quite a lot of editing down so I will continue possibly to fire out a few of these smaller episodes until it's ready to hit the uh, podcast airwaves so many thanks for listening um, enjoy 
I hope you're enjoying anyway this uh, Jubilee bank holiday. It's really thrown me. Um, I still convinced yesterday was Saturday it was Thursday God knows what today is I think it's Friday but it feels like a Sunday so we shall see but anyway many thanks for listening and I'll be in contact soon bye